Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thirty-eight for the meal, so that was great. We had forty-two the time before. So if you're looking in and you're saying yes, I enjoyed the meal, and uh, Valerie is good housekeeping and keeps me in line, and and this is okay, a nice family, and you want to be, we would love to introduce you to the family next week. So um, and if you if you uh, could just let the Connect Corner know that uh, that you would love us to call call on you next week. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to just introduce you to the family, and so and so. And those that are still making up their mind, we just want you to be happy where you hang your hat up. And if not, I have, I have a great relationship with a whole lot of pastors in the city, and I'd love to introduce you to somebody where you're comfortable. But we really want you to find a home, and, and the Bible says that he places us in family. So that's a lovely thing that we get to do, um, as be family with, uh, in, in God's house. So I'm excited about today. I mean, you talk about the, the songs and the worship upholding the message kind of got me all excited this morning. So um, we're excited about sharing the word. I just want our hearts to be prepared. Are you ready for that? Hallelujah. So Father, thank you. We get to listen to your word, to hear your word. And Father, even as I'm delivering it, I continually see your goodness and your greatness as we continue to unpack your word um, and, 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 and allow us to live in it and uh, not just be hearers, but doers of the word. And so, Father, we thank you that we have ears to hear what you're saying today. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I go, Cecile and Theo are joining us. Cecile and, uh, and Valerie were pregnant together, and the, I think the, our daughters were married, uh, married, huh? married not yet, um, are born a week apart or a month apart, yeah. And they grew up as best buddies. So, the most challenging thing my daughter had to do is find, make friends when she came to America because all, 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 all the kids that grew, grew up around were like born and she just naturally had a whole friends group. She never had to make a friend. They were all big friends in a group in, in Cape Town. And, uh, but uh, it is lovely that we have this long-standing relationship. We were on the eldership team together in the church in Cape Town and that uh, was 17 years of journeying together and doing life together. We're in this longevity. I've been in three countries, served in three churches, owned three homes, and I'm not going anywhere. At 62, I'm kind of hanging around you. People ask me when I first got here, so when are you going and moving on? I said, no, I've packed my gravesite here. I ain't going nowhere for, I've done my do, <laughs> my travels. But it's lovely having you with us there, Cecile. And uh, those that are visiting, thank you for coming and joining us. And uh, so the word I've been speaking is all under, um, underpinning and upholding the goodness of God. It's the year of God's goodness is what we've been really pressing in to and wanting us to see and get our faith kites up to be able to uh, embrace it and walk in it and be the ambassadors for it. And so we've been talking about encountering God's goodness and we've been listing some of the people that Jesus um, were encountered and how their lives were touched and changed. So obviously, we start off with James and, and John, John the Apostle, that wrote five books in the Bible, and how he was the, uh, known as the son of thunder, uh, the, the son of thunder. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to take a drink. Take a drink, Rod. This is just water, guys. Don't worry about a thing, those in line there. This is just water. 
<laughs> then we spoke about Mary and, and the wedding at Canaan and, and, and how Jesus impacted that with, with being able to fill those, earthen, those, those stone vessels and how it affected people. And then we spoke about the Samaritan that Jesus met at the well and how it's the wisdom we need to reach, reach the, the lost person. And then obviously we spoke about Matthew. Matthew, Matthew the tax collector. Man, that boy is committed. He jumped in with both feet. And, and um, today I want to talk to you about the lame man, the lame man that Jesus encountered. And the lame man that encountered Jesus, put it that way, because he was not expecting this kind of encounter. And I just want to read from John 5, verse, uh, starting from verse 1. It says, And afterwards Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy, holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, lay on the porch. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after that stirring of water was made well. And whatever disease he had, was healed of whatever disease he had. One of the men lying there had been, had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets in there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his, his sleeping mat and began, to, uh, began, began walking. But the miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to, said to the man who was, is, who was cured, you can't work on a Sabbath. The Lord doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you're well. Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. And then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Was that a good encounter or what? Again, God's goodness displayed here. Everywhere Jesus went, his goodness was displayed. Jesus was coming into, coming into the city for the second, second year of his ministry for the feast, and uh, the scripture tells us, and he came in by the sheep gate. Now, there's multiple gates that, that surround the, the Jerusalem, and this, was, this sheep gate was first, first mentioned in the book of Nehemiah when he came to restore the walls and stuff. And so there, there was a sheep gate. Why was it called a sheep gate? Because that gate was the closest to the, the temple. That gate was where they would bring sheep in that for, for, the, for the lambs and for the sacrifice. And it was the closest route to the temple. Because they didn't have animals inside the city. They were all out there with the shepherds. And so they would bring it in that gate. And interesting that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would come in that gate and come up to it. And um, so Jesus comes in there. Right after the entrance, the pool of Bethesda, is the pool Val and I actually got to see. We, we, we got in, we got on the south side of the wall, and we walked around the top of the wall all the way around to the north side. And we got down where the sheep gate was, and when we came in there, we saw the, 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 the architectural, I mean, the, 
the, um, the, the, the guys looking and excavating the site, and that was the pool of Bethesda. The word Beth in, in, in Hebrews talks about the house, and Bethesda is the house of mercy, the house of mercy. And, and that was the, 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 right at the gate there. The word Beth, as I said, is the house, and like Bethel is the house of God. Then we get uh, Bethsaida is the house of the fish. Uh, Bethlehem, the house of bread. And uh, Bethpage is the house of figs. These are names that we find, and it's always the house. And here we're talking about Bethsaida is the picture of the church, a place where the sick went, a place where the sick would find healing, not place of judgment or criticism. And the sick would, be, would wait there for their healing. This, this man was singled out. We don't know his name. His name is never mentioned here. And it's interesting that in a, in a crowd where everybody was predominantly sick, Jesus walks in, meets this man, deals the miracle to this man, and then disappears into the crowd. It must say something to us because sometimes we have to be led by God to pray for situations because and sometimes God, Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me what to do, and I only say what my father tells me what to say. So I was interested to see that, um, that, that that was the only single miracle that took place. So the lame man was asked in verse 6, would you like to get, wo- like to get well? And the, and the man doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't answer the question. And I want to dig into that today. I want to give you three thoughts why you and I, when presented the goodness of God, don't say yes or no. Why? Because we, are, we have this thing, and the first point is we're full of excuses. We always have an excuse. Here he said, I can't, sir. I, ha- I, have not, I have no one to put me into the pool. And like this man, we have a list of excuses. When we start getting to see things that God wants us to do or, or receive or have, and we have a list of excuses. We always, it's another person's fault. Why? It's because of so-and-so. Society does it, has caused this to me, and that, that's why I'm like this. It's the government's fault. I mean, that's a good one. You can throw it at the government. I was born like this. Uh, this is my lot in life. This is, this is what I've been dealt with. It's my, my parents' fault. I had one parent. I had two bad parents. I had no parents. Man, throw it at it. I have, but your bad teacher, you can see a little later. I try to, I don't, I try to lay it on that bad, bad teacher, but it, it doesn't hold water. And I was, I was prevented because of others, and I've come from a broken home. Pastor, you don't understand my situation. My situation is, is unique. Put this next slide up here. No one can hinder your destiny in life but you. I want to tell you, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Because I want to tell you, in Christ, you have no excuse. Why? Because Jesus has dealt with every one of your excuses. He has dealt with it and paid for it or sorted it out. He has saved us. He has healed us. He has delivered us. He has done it. And so we've got to understand that we've got to get, get to the place where we understand that Jesus has dealt with every excuse. He has plans for us. He's given us a hope and a future. I want to tell you the goodness of God is in play. And what we got to do is get in line and in step with that. So if today Jesus asks you the question, would you like to get well? Would you like your marriage 
to be healed, your finances to flourish? Would you like your relationships restored and you wouldn't want to be emotionally strong and sound? And uh, what would your answer be? Will you buy in and say, well, I'm the exception. It doesn't work for me. Because I tell you what, there is no exception with, with the power of Jesus. There is no exception. There's no exception. In verse 5 in the King James, it says, that says this, this man had an infirmity. An infirmity means a weakness. In the translation we spoke, it says an illness, but it was a weakness. Would you like to get well from your weakness was the, was the question. God is the master of using weakness for his victory. God is a master at that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians what God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You understand that when, when, when the, and the kite is floundering, that's when the, when the Spirit of God starts filling your, filling your kite and gets you to fly. So your identi do you identify with the weakness, your excuses, your reasons? Do you identify with that? What are we sitting with? What are we hugging? What are we holding as excuses and weaknesses? What are we doing? Because we need to have a look at it. If it's physical, identify it. If it's emotional, identify it. If it's habits, hurts, past issues, addictions, relationships, sexual issues, gender issues, um, uh, race issues, please identify it. Because when you bring it to the light, darkness has no hold on it any longer. That's what you've got to do. I mean, you've got to locate yourself. Remember I told you when you go into a mall, the first thing I look for is that map that tells you everything that's in a mall. And the first thing I look for is, you are here. <laughs> because I can work everything else when I find out I am here. Let the Word of God locate you today. Where are you? What is your infirmity? What is your weakness? And let's deal with it. Mine was... I mean, I had a route and a, and a journey through English that, 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 that's, that, is, that you don't want to write a book on. But I had this Mr. Cummings guy. At eight years old, he used to have a little, little paddle that's actually a part of a broken off leg from a chair. And we used to have this comprehension deal that we had to go through. The lowest on the comprehension, there were seven levels, was brown. So you'd have to read something and then answer the question to see if you had comprehension of that. Firstly, he'd make me get up and read, stand next to him at the desk and read. And every word I got wrong, he whacked me. Now, you could do it in those days. <laughs> Nobody went to jail, nothing, nothing like that. And, and I never got off brown, guys. I just want to let you know that. I never got off brown. Everybody was screened up to the fancy color of purple that was top of the pile. Everybody got, to, got their graduation. Not me. I just got whacked. It set a trend in my life where I would not speak publicly. I wouldn't speak because he would bring me up when they wanted a cl class humor that would get me up there to read a, pass, uh, a paragraph. And when I'm trying to read there, I'd get, I couldn't even, sometimes I'd get stuck on the word like the. the. I mean, can you get stuck? On, yes, I can. I mean, I used to freeze up there. And it set a trend in my life where I just could not crack an English exam. And to this day, all my certificates I do not have an English exam pass. And the funny thing is, here I am, talking to everybody, in front of everybody. You talk about, 
Would you like to get well? <laughs> and the funny thing is, I serve a God. I know he's Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Nissi, but he's also Jehovah Trickster. He will, he's tricked me to get here. Let me just tell you that. He started off that somebody wasn't available to do Joey's job and emceeing the church. So they said, hey, Rod, just quickly make these announcements. Uh, Rod, while you're up there, just pray for the people. And suddenly Rod's up there doing a whole lot of stuff with a microphone on the stage because Jehovah Trickster got me and pulled me in there. So my question is, do you want to get well? And what, what poor answer do you have? Are we full of excuses? The second thing is, it will require effort. It will require effort if you want to be able to move. Verse 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus had no big announcement, thou art healed, my brother. No, nothing. Stand up, grab your mat, take your junk, get out of here. That's all he said. Just had instructions. Three instructions. Stand up, one. Pick up your mat, two. Walk, three. I understood 38 years. This boy is quite comfortable in his position here. This man had his life. His whole lot in life was 38 years in this little vicinity. And now he's getting told to change it. It doesn't come easy. But it's easy to live in your weakness if you don't. If you, it's rather, I'd rather the devil I know and kind of live in my weakness. But I'm telling you what, it's an excuse. God's saying, I don't want it in my body anymore. We need to stand up. We need to stand up, grab your mat, let's go. He had community there. He had a connect group. Man, he, he had bingo there. He had everything there. I mean, he didn't have to go anywhere. After 30 years, 38 years, he was kind of sort of. And uh, so J J Jesus' his instruction required a life-altering action. Stand up is something he physically he wasn't doing at all. And then grab your mat. It means you, I'm losing my address. I'm sure he had shuffled himself into a good spot. Not good enough that I would lay right on the edge of that pool. So as soon as it stirred, I would just plop over. <laughs> I don't know what happened to his thinking there, but he didn't do it. That's what I would have done. One may use your weakness as an identity, as an attention thing. A place you hide in. We've, I've seen people come up in prayer lines before, and, and in fact, I, I'm reminded of Smith Wigglesworth. He had this person come up, and he said, I'm not praying for you. He says, you actually like your position, and you get attention, and again, you're coming up here to get, to get attention. I'm not going to, I'm not going to accommodate it. And so, so is your identity in your, in your weakness? Is that what gives you your value and your worth and uh, and, and and so it reminds me of the, uh, uh, the, the idols, was it, with Blackbird singing, this girl that had cancer. American's got talent. She gets up there, sings her an original song. She goes as a stage name as Blackbird and Nightbird. And she, so she's up there. And, and, uh, and then uh, Simon, Simon Carl, Carl asks, her, asks her, so, you know, this is crazy. I mean, you've got cancer and you've got only 2% chance of living. He says, I don't let my pain define me. Fantastic words. 2% is better than no percent. That was her attitude. She's now with Jesus, totally healed and whole. That's where she is. We, 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 we can't lose for winning, you know that. Hallelujah. So he, here he is, and he's moving a dress. We had a guy, John Sudbury. He was a, I, I was driving back from work, 
And there he was in his wheelchair hitchhiking. So the compassionate Christian as I am, pulled over, picked him up, and, he, and I said, where can I take you? He says, well, I don't really know. I don't have a place to go. And the good Christian that we were, we took him in. And he came and stayed with us. One week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks. And eventually got to eight weeks. And then God said, uh, what are you doing with John? So I went to John. I said, John, how did you do life before us? He says, well, I had a hand-controlled vehicle. And uh, you know, I had a bit of an accident with it. I encountered one of the sides of the streets. And uh, yeah, um, I said, good. I said, in two weeks, I'm going to have your car fixed. I'm going to get you a job. I'm going to find an apartment that gives you wheelchair access. And you're on your own, buddy. You're out of here. That's tough love. Because here you're compassionate. I'm fetching and carrying him. I mean, it was was a labor of love. He comes back. Two years later, he says, Rod, that was the best thing you ever did for me. He says, because I got myself together. I saved enough money from that work. I came to the United States. I went to Bible school. I found the love of my life. I'm back home. I'm married. And we're having our first child. And God said, if you kept on looking after him, kept looking after this weakness, he would have been a, a, a greater disabled person. So sometimes that's what God's talking to us about today. He's given us a, a good kick in the rusty dusty. And he says, I don't like your excuses. And yes, you're going to have to take some effort to get up and go and move and leave this address that you're going. And Jesus, an interesting thing, and I've got to make comment on this, Jesus encounters the man a second time in the temple and cautions him in verse 14. Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something worse, even worse may happen to you. I want to just let you clarify something. Sin doesn't cause sickness, but sin keeps the door open so the sickness can get to you. That's the challenge we've got to be careful. You dabble with sin, you leave a door open. It's like leaving those doors open. One day I did that example, and I said, leave those doors open and watch the air conditioning will not cope, and it will come in, and you're going to be sweating it. Yeah. So you leave the door open, and I want to warn you, you're going to be in a, in a challenge. So uh, here he is saying, be careful. Do not allow this, the door of sin to open because the enemy comes in. Comes in and he'll kill, steal, and destroy. And there's all sorts of areas that we leave open. Just let me give you an example of one. Unforgiveness. My mom. My mom. She got to a place, and I'll tell you the first miracle, and then, the, then I was reminded about the second miracle in my mom's life. So she got to the age where it's in 70 where she could really not walk because of arthritis. And she was pegged in the bed, and eventually the... We were all left home, and, and the pastor came and says, Mrs. Palmer, you never talk about your late husband. She says, I have nothing to say about my late husband. We never knew, as nine children, we never knew the condition of the home with my mom and dad. And he chipped at her until eventually that later afternoon, she said, this is what he did to me. This is how he treated me. And then he dies. I was, 12, I was just 13 when he died, and he, left, and he left my mom in this condition where she could not resolve this this, this hurt, and it just brewed in her, brewed in her, leaving the door open so where she was so crippled that she could not walk. And so the pastor got her to pray and said, listen, you need to forgive him and release him. Oh, she said, that, that I can't do, forget that. But eventually he showed, showed her and God's grace was on her life and she prayed and released. Immediately she could get up and walk. Immediately she could get up and walk. And that's what happens. You leave these doors open and, um, and it's gonna take effort 
to shut those doors. And we, we, Val, Val, uh, my mom said, listen, um, at, at a previous situation, she, she had polio when she was 10, uh, 10 years old. And so she used, we'd always know that she's coming after us because she'd, yeah, doom, shh, doom, she'd drag her leg. And she's pregnant with a whole bunch of us, and she still had polio in the leg. And uh, so she heard about F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth coming to town for a healing, evangel- uh, healing evangelist. And she said, uh, Rod and Val, would you take me there? And she hey, listened to him preach. And Val says, I'm going to take you up for prayer. And when she got up there, Val watched my mom's polio leg grow out into full strength at the age of 54. And so that was incredible. And Val was just, I mean, she, she, she was a bit of a doubting Thomas as far as the healing thing was. And as she was walking away, Val had a rare blood disease of boils and stuff. And when I, met, when I was married to her, and not, the doctors couldn't work it out. And, and the, the, the evangelist said, Val, I just she says, the, the lady that's just helping this lady, uh, I want to just tell you, you've got a rare blood disease and God wants to heal you. And the power of God knocked Val to the ground. She got up, no boils, healed totally. I'd say this to tell you, man, we've got to understand it's going to take an effort. It took my mom an effort to get in the car and go to this evangelist and say, I want prayer. I want God to touch me. So that we need to understand that. And it's going to take... To, for you to get, uh, your, your, get up your bed and get your bed up and walk, it's going to require a decision and effort. Faith requires effort. Romans 10, 7 says, 10, 17 says, but faith comes by hearing. It requires you to move to, to where faith in God is alive and uh, is lived in a believer. I don't want to go and hang around people that have doubt and unbelief because that doesn't help my faith cut. I want to hang around people that, that are alive, that, 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 that are alive in God and are believing God. And where God is alive and active in his people, I'll tell you what, things start happening. And I'll tell you, pushing God's goodness down your throat every Sunday, I want you to get your faith kites up and understand that when we get together, we have this, this, uh, this, this, this atmosphere of faith that we can walk into. And when those are, are struggling, they can come to a place where the, it's faith is buoyant and God is alive in the house. Church that's alive is worth a drive. I thought that was a good, good slogan I saw on a sticker one. And I also want you to know, you don't put live chicks under a dead hen. So find a live hen, find a live church, and let's get the new chicks in here, and let's get, the, get, get, get them filled. We're announcing this year God's goodness and His greatness, because what it does, it stirs up faith. So my question is, uh, do you want to stay? Um, uh, uh, why, why stay in the fellowship of believers? Why, why, why do we stay in the fellowship of believers? Watch when you, one stays away from his family and fellowship. Watch how your faith kite flounders. Watch it. I don't, want to, I, I don't want you to test it, but I'm telling you, you don't want to be away from the believers where, where faith is stirred up. Man, my faith was stirred up with these songs today because my God is a God of miracles, and I hang around that. I don't have to hang around with doubt and unbelief. There's a whole lot of that. Does God want to add to my notes? So why, why, why didn't he say yes? Why didn't we, go, we always say yes? Would you like to get well? We're full of excuses. It's going to take effort. And the last thing I want to leave with you, but my experience tells me different. My experience will hinder me from saying yes because, man, it's, it's, it's something I've had. What, what, what we've experienced and what we've been taught causes our, our faith to be focused in a direction which is doubt and unbelief has set our faith on a track. And so God has got to get 
messages to you. He's got to get the word of God to you. He's got to break that track, that groove, that rut. What is a rut? It's a grave with the ends kicked out. We used to have a road in, in, in Zimbabwe that, that, that would go to, to the border, and it says, uh, pick your rut for the next 60 miles. Because when your vehicle gets into that rut, it ain't getting out. I want to tell you, church, we've got to understand that we got ourselves into ruts, and I hope today we'll, you, you'll be able to get kicked out of that rut because, oh, that's my experience. Well, religion has told me God is punishing me, or he's trying to humble me, and he's purging sin from me. That's what religion will say. Some denominations will tell you, well, healing has passed away. It passed away with the last apostle. It's not for today. You may say, I have, been, I have prayed, nothing. I've had leaders pray, nothing. And uh, it's what it is. No, it's not what it is. You bought a lie. Come on, church. You've got you to understand that. Don't buy the lie. The lie. Because I tell you, tell you one wrong thought about salvation, and you will not get saved. One wrong thought about healing, and you will not receive your healing. One wrong thought about his love, and you'll question him. One wrong thought about, what else? His goodness. And you won't run into his loving arms because you're, you're questioning his goodness. I tell you, we've got to get our stinking thinking right. We've got to get it right. We've got to get it right so we can be the vessels through which divine favor flows, touching the lives of those around us. So, hallelujah. So your faith is neutralized. Doubt and unbelief floods in into one's faith. If we listen to the religious, listen to the religious here in verse nine. But this miracle happened on a Sabbath. Jesus had this knack of doing miracles on a Sabbath. Really ticked the guys off. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who, the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. In comparison to the jolly 38-year miracle that's taken place, they're more concerned about him carrying a mat. That's how dumb religion can mess your brain up. Man, you're smoking good stuff then, man. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Yeah, he blames God again. Throws Jesus right under the bus again. <laughs> Jesus has his habit of me healing on the Sabbath, eh? Val and I experienced the Sabbath in, in Israel. It's very interesting, especially if you get into an elevator that, 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 that is, is designed for the Sabbath. It all, yeah, so Shabbat. You, you walk into that and be ready to stop at every floor. You're not, not allowed to touch those buttons. Those buttons is work. You do not touch the buttons of work. But if, you, but, if you've, no, but if you avoid going with the elevator, they do, they do not consider walking up the stairs work. I'm quite aware of how that works, but you can take the stairs. That is not work. I don't know how it changes from pushing a button to going upstairs. But anyway, religion kind of gets off the beaten track. But this healing again, when he was present, uh, uh, challenged by it, this man that was healed, he, he threw Jesus under the bus. And he says, now that man told me to, I must carry it. To get set free, be healed, delivered, and have, a, and have a change, we may have to step out of our comfort zone. Even though experience is saying one thing, move away from religion. 
your religious upbringing. Correct your biblical error. You may have to do that. Have faith in the goodness of God. One may have to come to the front when prayer is offered because you now consider yourself nice and comfortable in your little zone here. This is my chair. I come here. I sit here and I leave after I leave. Well, you may have to get out of your little comfort zone, pick up your mat and walk to the front and get prayed for. You may have to do that. And it's not, it's not dangerous. It's, it's quite safe. I don't want to warn you. One may call, have to call on the elders to come and anoint with oil and pray. That's what James says. If there's any sick among you, call the elders. I'm not going to just pitch up at your house. You call. I will bring the oil. And we will anoint and agree with God's word and watch the power touch you. Nothing to do with this. This is just an earthen vessel. This is just the donkey God uses. That's all it is. I'm the vessel through which his favor flows. One may have to do something scriptural. Have believers lay hands on you. You may have to do that. You may have to get charismatic. Lift your hands to surrender. Say, no more way, your God, your way. You may have to get past our comfort zone. We have to get past it. Our experience may hinder us. I'm saying yes. Simple answer, yes. Can I just end with this as I want to transition and I want to give people opportunity to get touched by God, but it requires that your faith kites be up. I want to give you this word, this word incarnation. This word incarnation is God in the flesh. Jesus was known as God in the flesh. God came and manifested himself through Jesus. What about today, church? What about today? Is God in the flesh here? If I can tell you that we are the conduits through which his power flows, we are incarnated believers. Why? Let me show you in one scripture here. Maybe two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And he just, he just wants a clay vessel to use. And my hand's up. If he can get me out behind this and get me speaking, man, what else can he do through this earthen vessel? Hey, 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, my dear children, because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Yo, come on, church. Since Pentecost, Holy Spirit has incarnated the believer. Woo. And we are his temples, we are his conduits, and we are his vessels. We are his vessels. So as believers, we can pray. We can be that, that vessel. We can allow deliverance to go through us. And don't get all big-headed that if something happens and somebody falls down or, you know, the, the, the lame walk or the blind see, you're just a clay vessel. It's the God in us. And it's not your righteousness. It's His righteousness anyway. It's not you, you being a goody two-shoes. It's just you being obedient. Because we don't make the mark. So we need to understand that we need to silence those excuses. We need to be able to get effort going to, for God to work. And then we need to override the, those bad experiences that we had. I can leave you with that.
with this encounter that Jesus had. So my question to you, are you comfortable on your mat with your infirmity, with your weakness, and with your situation? Are we going to stand up, disrupt our comfort, put distance between you and your infirmity? Are you planning to do that? Because the invitation God is placing today on our lives is that I want to be there when you take those steps. God wants you to know that I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I want you to step up. So I wanted, I, I, I sent a message out to the leaders. I said, guys, I'm believing for miracles today. I'm believing for God's healing today. I'm, I'm going to speak into it. The worship, uh, the ministry sang into it. If there's not faith in the room, then I don't know where we can find faith. But I tell you what, if there is an infirmity, if there is a weakness, if it's physical, emotional, anything that, even if there is distance from the need, wherever it may be, and you right here, I want you to come and stand proxy. I know that when um, uh, the apostles, they laid handkerchiefs on on the apostles, and then they took him to the, to the situation and watched God's miraculous power. God's going to use any, any means possible to get to the need today. But it's going to take us. Quit your excuses. I've run out of excuses. I've preached all my excuses open today. And we need to have, it's going to take effort. And I'm not going to let my past experiences hinder me. I remember I went to that charismatic, crazy-matic place, and it was ridiculous. Forget that. This is a new day today. God wants to touch us. He wants to change us and challenge us. Maria, would you come and play for us? And while Maria gets herself ready, I just want us to ask God, where am I sitting with this situation? 